Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Well, it's wonderful to have you guys on Death by Design podcast. I have Fawn Chang and Michael Heller, who I discovered via the internet. I came across this beautiful woman who was talking about death. And you know how I love to talk about death. Um, so I reached out and, and Fawn, you, you said, hey, and I was really fascinated with what you were doing. So welcome to Death by Design podcast. Thanks so much. We are delighted to be here and we're so grateful for you being out there doing what you're doing Kimberly oh thanks yeah you know it takes it takes a community it takes several people in te- several different ways to talk about this subject that some lot of maybe millions don't want to talk about um so yeah it's it's uh, I feel like wh- whoever's in this field is brothers and sisters so it's really nice to have you guys on and Michael welcome aboard as well Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Why don't Fawn you tell me how you got attracted to this? And and Michael, please chime in at any time. And and Fawn, you know, talk a little bit about Michael's role and what he does to support you as well. Sure, you bet. So I I would say that I had a lot of quote unquote false starts with death. Um, like most of us in this field, when you look back at your history you see the little peaks of interest that popped up along the way. And mine really started in childhood. Um, Interestingly enough, I've not lost anyone in my immediate family, but I did have a growing interest in meditation when I was in my late teens. And I started meditating and started studying meditation seriously. And the particular discipline that I practiced uses death as a contemplation in meditation. And to many people, so back when I started meditating, it wasn't in the mainstream. This was like a long, long time ago. And I didn't even know <laughs> people who meditated because they would look at me where, you know, it was one of those things where you just, you, it was like your dirty little secret. Right. <laughs> and, right, right. And I was vegan and, you know, all the things. And no one wanted to know what I was doing, but, and I didn't want to share it either. But I found, oddly enough, that death contemplation was a way for me to access meaning in my life, like in an instant. And I didn't understand it at the time, what was happening, right? But what ended up happening is that started to become the roadmap for how I wanted to live my life. And if you think about it for just even 30 seconds, if you thought, if I died today, like things get clear real fast. Yeah, they do. Right. There's no messing around. There's no beating around the bush. You you reach out to the people you love. You stop spending time doing a bunch of garbage that is a distraction, a waste of your time. And so I just went along, went along, went along. And so, and I knew that at some point in my life, I wanted to do something to 
give back, to be of service. And I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to be. But in my 30s, early 40s, I started asking seriously what that was going to be. And I read a book that was written by a monk, and he talked about hospice. And instantly I knew. I think probably the same thing for you. You, you just you mm. have that your body response and your body says, yes, this is where I need to be. And no one in my social circle was doing this. So it wasn't like, for me, it was something that I wanted to run to because I knew it was a space that most people were running away from. And that was because of the scariness around death. And death can be messy and it can be tricky and and I mean messy physically, as well as emotionally, as well as psychologically. And I just felt that it, because I had built this kind of friendliness, and I don't mean I embrace and love the topic of death, but I became comfortable with it enough to say, I want to stand in this space. So I started volunteering, and one thing led to another. I really felt challenged. I felt um, like I was doing a good thing, but I didn't feel like I was doing enough. As a volunteer, you can mm. do so much, right? Sure. And so um, several years went by, many, many years went by, and I, I tend to be, I, I tend to be a little bit type A personality, you know, always want to do something better. You know? I, I don't know that. what you're talking. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it remained in my existence. You know, but so even something that I'm doing, you know, volunteer, I have to be a better volunteer. How can I do this better? But it was a good question because what that ended up doing, Kimberly, is it made me start researching and I ended up falling upon um, the Endwell website. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, so cool. So cool. And at the Endwell website, because I didn't even know this world existed, the, <laughs> the hospice that I worked with, I didn't talk with my volunteer coordinator frequently. I would just, you know, they would give me my assignments and see if they matched up with my availability and my, my region. And then I would just interact with the families, right? So- right. Even though I worked as a hospice volunteer, I wasn't part of the bureaucracy or part of the ideology or part of the corporate. Um, yeah, or it, political. Yes. I mean, I, it can, you can, there's so many titles I could put this, you know, name in, or you can concentrate on those who are like drawn to this field that has so much compassion and this heart. And, and that mission of, like you, you know, wanting to do more tends to surprise you in a way that, that you come up with some really creative ideas. And that's what I love about InWell. That's what I love about what you're doing is because it is creative. It, it, it is. And um, because I, I didn't interact with any of the corporate or the bureaucratic stuff, I was kind of just an island doing my thing, interacting with my patients and their families and wanting to do it better, whatever that meant, finding Endwell. And then all of a sudden, there was this thing called end-of-life doula. And right. like, what is this? And before I knew it, literally, before I knew it, I was enrolled in a program. Like, that's just me. Full mm. trigger, ask questions later. What did I do? Right. And I signed up. We'd get along for, well. 
<laughs> we would so get along well. I have family somewhere. Um, and so I signed up for this program, took the program, and it, you know, it, the, the program start date was like four months later. So I forgot along the way, basically. Went to the first day of class and I was like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? And 45 minutes into the class, I was convinced that I was in the right place. Mm. I was so moved by what the other participants were sharing, their stories, their personal experiences, their losses. It was, again, another one of those bodily moments that tells you, mm. you know, there is a space here that needs to be filled. And so um, I went along and you know continued down that path. And then after a while, I started to ask myself, again, through death contemplations, which I do regularly, what is it that I want to do with my life? You know, what, where can I leave an imprint? What are the things that I am good at? <laughs> it's a short list sometimes, but you know, I had to <laughs> Mine <too>. with you. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, okay, I might be brilliant at two things and the rest I'm like, mm. but it came down to, I love to educate. I, mm. I, I love to communicate with people from my heart in a space where people, where most people find it to be scary. And um, that's your superpower. That's Fawn's superpower. She has this ability to, I don't know, she can take real ugly things and she can package them in a way that people can consume them. Because I can tell you as a death adverse conversator, as a person who does not want to have those conversations, that is something that really resonates. I think that's the power of why this works for us is, one really just has that ability to kind of take things down several notches for people and make them very consumable. Oh, cool. So, you know, you were like, I'm not going to talk about this with Fawn. She's not going to get me to do this. And then here she comes and she she's in a full conversation with you. I'm like, oh, my God, we're talking about death. I mean, you don't even know you're talking about death until it's too late, right? Yeah. yeah she's I, so bubbly about it. That's her other superpower. <laughs> that's Fawn's other superpower. <laughs> she can get you into a conversation and you're asking, God? Wait, what am I defending all of a sudden? I, didn't even, I was just making a sandwich. Right. That's awesome. So, Michael, what is your role and how, how do you support Fawn? Um, you know, one of my great honors is to take um, her great visions and try to turn them into what I know um, she would like them to be. Um, a long time ago in another life, I, you know, was an entrepreneur, but my current job is um, to help brands tell stories. And so, you know, as, as we started to iterate about how we could help people have these conversations, and unfortunately, I would say, I, but, but in this instance, fortunately, I've had experience with uh, the loss of loved ones. Um, and in this particular moment, the loss of my best friend who took his life 10 years ago. And so I found myself in a situation where I didn't want to confront that topic. But actually, in many of my conversations with with Fawn, I was actually able to kind of like navigate that narrative and that story and that instance in my life and figure out based on her passion and my love and belief that stories are, you know, how we communicate our best values, how we pass on what matters to us most, that we would find a happy medium that we could share with the world to make this not only something that people thought was less scary, but that they thought was vitally important to do because we don't want to leave without sharing a story. And well, Oh, wow. That's, you know, that's the, the greatest thing that I've learned 
in this field is, you know, my background's film, television, and you, you, you start with the story, you know, you start with a good uh, script. And, and I see that in life too, is, is those who I work with and who are dying at, on their deathbed were, were telling me not just about that they were dying of cancer or COPD, but they were, but their whole history of, you know, they were in World War II and suddenly they become a real person and not just a diagnosis. So I absolutely love that you and Fawn have uh, partnered together because I think the stories are what possibly will attract people to even this subject. So that's really, really cool. So Fawn, you know, I looked at your website, you, you call yourself a death educator. So tell me, what is that? And you mentioned death doula. Are you a death doula as well? Did you go and do the class? Yes, I did the class and I worked as a death doula and a hospice volunteer. I don't think I'll ever let go of hospice because it's just something that is personally dear to me. But in doing this, I recognized that, again, going back to what I believed I did well and then what I was actually doing with that, there was still a gap. And um, in my immediate circle and my extended circle, people still weren't talking about death. They were still avoidant of the topic. Yet in my moments of professional work and volunteer, I was up close and personal with death. And so I recognized that gap right there needs to be filled. And this is what I do best. I am a good educator. Where do you think that comes from? Because you know what? No, not a lot of people are good educators. Where do you feel like, the, I mean, did you were you raised by teachers or, I mean, what, I mean, how did, how did you be, because I think education is hard to concept, conceptualize and then kind of reiterate it out to, for people to be students. Yeah. And so is that just your, like Michael said earlier, this might be your third secret weapon or your third, third secret power. <laughs> well, he, he's being kind, but I think, you know, I grew up with two incredibly diverse backgrounds. My mother is Mexican and my father is Chinese and both very um, culturally rich um, experiences. But when I was very young, they divorced and I went back and forth between the two families. And those are very different cultures um, that kind of came together. And because they didn't stay together, they stayed, they kept their cultural identities intact. Because had they stayed together, it would have become diluted because they would have worked together and let go of certain things. But they didn't have to let go of their ideologies anymore. And so I bounced between the two cultural ideologies. And it was different from the way that we brushed our teeth, the way that we went to bed, the way that we ate our food, the way that we everything was different. And what was so right in one family was so wrong in another. And what was so acceptable in this family was not, was a secret in this family. And so being the only one that was on the outside looking in, kind of like a ping pong table, if you will, I recognized early on that there's a lot of ways to get to good. Oh, wow. That's great. It was so helpful for me. And I think that that was the fingerprint that was imprinted on me inadvertently from my parents. I don't think that they intended to teach me these differences because they were very <laughs> right. locked in their ideologies, right? And I was the one that was able to soften the 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 
um, the walls or, you know, kind of break down the walls so that I could live <laughs> in these worlds and feel okay. And so I think that my ability to see that other people see things differently and allow them to be okay with what they see, but possibly look at it this way too, right there. I think that ability right there that I learned in, innately as a child was really what has armed me with the topic of death. Because eight times out of 10, you're going to get a hand up from people when you bring up the subject. Because it's for whatever reasons, scary, all the things. Or it's not going to happen to me. It, right. Why? We're right. It's not going to happen. If I talk about it, it might happen tonight. So let's not talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. And because, um, well, for so many cultural reasons, but yeah. And so I think allowing people to be okay with their avoidance and to be okay with the aversion, but then, you know, silently kind of creep in with little, you know, seeds and little drops and ways that I could help put people in my shoes or, or in the, the shoes of someone who looked at death with, from a different vantage point. Then I've noticed people have gone, ah, okay, okay. It doesn't have to be hard. Yeah, there's a deeply rooted compassion in the way that Fawn goes about that. She won't say that because she's going to be modest, but, um, I, I, and that's why, I, that's why I say that it's a superpower because, you know, having the experience that she articulates is, you know, a lot of other people have that kind of experience. It's kind of like, what do you end up doing with it? Like, how do you turn that into a positive force for good? And I think that's just the thing. That's how Fawn gets people to do things. She has this sense of compassion and it just kind of makes things very consumable. It makes you feel very comforted and it makes you feel like, all right, we can do this. We can have this conversation. I can make a sandwich and talk about death at the same time. Right. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a culture or a philosophy. You got to start with small little things to get you comfortable. I recently, I was at a dinner party and everybody's joking because, uh, you know, my, my background's very humorous with Saturday Night Live and I love humor and comedy and I bring that to my everywhere I go and my family is really funny uh, in, in the most obscure situations where you probably shouldn't be funny. And, uh, and I, so I grew up that way to, to really laugh about it. So a lot of people are like, you're always laughing. You know, I can't believe, you know, you, you don't look like the person that would talk about death and, but, but you're always laughing. You're always happy. And, and why are you, how are, why can you, how can you be that way? And I said, well, I contemplate my death every day and the, the whole dinner table kind of stopped and was like, what? I was like, yeah, when you know, something is about to end then something in, right in front of you becomes uniquely more relevant and important. Like, for instance, the sunrise. Um, you know, waking up with your dog in the bed with you where she's not allowed to be, but somehow she snuck in in the middle of the night. Those little things that happen um, really stop you in your tracks when you contemplate this could be the last time this happens. You know? 100%. And it, it's, it's too bad that we've made these things kind of cliche, but the cliche is real. Um, when you stop and you allow yourself a little bit of space to say, 
okay, if my life ended today, and I think that when you do that, all of a sudden it goes from like a black and white movie to technicolor, like an explosion of color, the leaves moving and the butterflies, traffic, even traffic sounds beautiful. Like you just look at this, like this is an incredible movie that is my life and every bit of it is my choice, my choice, even with all of the uncertainty and the division and the way that we're fractured right now, if you just take one minute and you just look at a bigger picture, like any one of these people around me could die today. And, and, and if they did, is it worth it for me to argue with them about my political position or whether face masks or, or um, COVID or, you know, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, whoever, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And it becomes more, I mean, even I, the worst thing, especially being on the road in an RV, you know, you don't have a dishwasher and you're like, I have to wash dishes and dry them. And I, every time I find myself like, oh, I don't want to do the dishes. I imagine myself paralyzed and not being able to stand and fill the water and wash the dishes. And I'm thinking how grateful I am to be able to stand here and wash these freaking dishes that I hate. But it's like those little things that could be taken away from me. I, I tell people the the way I look at death is all, or life and death, I should say, living in between there is I look at life as a vacation. You know, what do you do on vacation? You know, you go on vacation for two weeks and let's just pick Fiji. And what you do is you go to Fiji and you cram so much shit in that two week period that you come back from your vacation needing a vacation from your vacation because you're just crammed full. You don't have a moment to sit. And the reason you cram it full is because you know it's going to end. And I'm wondering to myself, well, we know our lives are, want, are going to end. Why are we not running with our hair on fire, cramming everything we can into today because things can change as quickly as a blink, as a moment. And, and so I, I'm really aware of that. And I find myself, you know, w you know, especially during the quarantine and COVID, finding myself watching a lot of Netflix and catching up on people, you know, gosh, things that went off, went off the air like two years ago and I finally watched it. And, and it, it's like, I'm giving myself permission to be like, yeah, I'm waste. I'm not doing anything right now. I'm going to enjoy this moment and I'm going to take it to the fullest extent. And, and so what I feel really when, when you, when I hear of like a death educator or a death doula, I really replace it with life. You're a life educator. You're a life doula because once death occurs, you know, there's nothing else to do with that person. So you journey with them. So a life educator is really kind of throwing up a mirror and saying, look, look at you. This will end. What are you going to do now? It's almost like, a, I feel like it's a secret. Like, hey, you know, one day you're going to die. Um, you might want to do that today. <laughs> you're <laughs> my favorite, on. you know, yeah, right. It's, I feel like it's the best kept secret. When people ask me like, <laughs> you know, what is it? Why is your attitude so great? They won't believe me when I say it's because I contemplate death because it just changes everything in a moment. But I want to, I really want to um, kind of piggyback on what you said, because you're absolutely right. And that's why I brought Michael in was because I was going, um, you know, I was heading down a track that was, you know, plan for death, plan for death. 
plan for death. And in talking with Michael and, and really listening to his position, it was like part of planning for death is stopping and taking a look at your life because you really are closest to how much your life means when you think about death. So let's talk about your truth. Talk about your values. Talk about your memories, your experiences. And also do this for yourself as well because it re-inspires yourself to like let go of the whatever it is that you're doing too much that's not getting you closer to your heart's content. Because Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, we spend so much time distracted and fidgeting with the things that we really don't care about ultimately. And so, so um, that pivot, go ahead, Michael. Well, no, I was just going to say, I remember actually this moment in therapy and I shared this with Fawn because um, it, it, therapists do this exercise where they will ask you, what is the thing that you most want to do in your heart? And then they ask you to kind of like make a graph, like if you did that thing, and then if you don't do that thing in your life, and then they, they go through with you the scenarios. So if you don't do it, how would that make you feel? And then what would happen next? And how would that make you feel? And it gets down to the bottom. And then if you did do it, what's the worst that could happen? And how would that make you feel? Blah, blah. So if you did do it, and you didn't do it. And then they ask you, and, and when I went through it, it was like, well, if I don't do this thing, it led down to, I would just want to die. Like I would feel like I failed mm. and my life was a waste and I would just want to just shrivel up and die. And if I did do it and it wasn't well received and it was, everybody made fun of it. I'd want to shrivel up and die. And I just remember <laughs> my guy saying to me, who would want to do it? It ends in death either way. Of course you're not going to do it. And I remember just being sitting there, just being like, that was worth the price of admission today. That was like, I was like, this was worth the price of admission today. Like, this is a great lesson in you're, Either way, it's going to happen. Why don't you just do the thing you want to do and not worry about the rest? And that's really, I think, you know, just that was when Fawn and I's conversation started to really meld together. And I was just like, I get it. This is this is what this is. Oh, that is so beautiful. What great advice. What a great therapist. I I might need that person's name, (laughs) especially during this time of COVID. Um, No, what a great example of, you know, I, 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 for some reason, when I, I, it's almost like a light switch. When I make a decision, I fall on the sword. I really do. And even my father says that I, once I decided that I was going to, you know, cash in my retirement, rent out my house, buy an RV, travel to, you know, drive to 49 states, um, and it ended in the state 45, it crushed me not to complete the goal. And so I feel like I failed. And but my father, he's such a, a wise little, little guy. He, he's just like, yeah, but look how far you, you came. Um, and, you know, that's life things happen all the time. But it is, it is, I've seen many people talk a lot um, and not be able to really jump with both feet in. And I think it's fear. Um, fear pa- paralyzes you. And le- and everyone's like, I can't believe you drove across the country. That you, How could you do that? I'm like, I was scared to death. Yeah. I was scared every day. Yep. I mean, but it didn't paralyze me. Um, I got, I got, you know, death in the 
the the uh, passenger seat. You know, it wasn't allowed to change the channels on the radio. I mean, but it really allowed to, to I let it accompany accompany me on the journey. Um, you know, but it was it was something that that uh, fear just because you do something um, doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid. Right. And I, I think that's a great example. I, you know, I just had this conversation with Michael this morning. I, um, I was, I was saying, gosh, I, I think I face my fears daily with this, you know, I'm, you know, what is so-and-so going to think, or they're going to think I'm being greedy, or they're going to think I'm not qualified or enough or my, whatever, all the list goes on and on and on. And you don't realize, or at least I don't realize how much times those fears are really running your behaviors all day. Unless you stop them, take a look at it, use death to do that. And and I, you know, I finally got to a point where I built enough momentum because the message was so strong. Like, I have to do this. I don't have a choice because this impetus, this passion is coming through me, just like the, the holding space for it. And I guess the lesson for me is to just continue to face my fears because my fears keep wanting to stop me, but the passion keeps moving forward. So with Constantly. Yeah. So it's like you set the goal, then you just let it go and keep going after it. It's a process of letting go and keep going forward. Well, let me ask you, you know, I've been in, I, I tripped into this field over 20 years ago. Uh, and what's what I see these days is there's so many people talking about death. You know, the New York Times is having articles about it. You know, you have you have cards like the death deck that are being shuffled and, and contemplated. And you have things like In Well that, that we spoke about, the beautiful dying expo coming up in November that's going to be a virtual thing. It's why why do you think people are so talking about this? And it's I, I feel like it is in my face a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you too? Mm, well, so maybe it's just like I'm more aware of it. I, I think a lot of it is because you maybe you're surrounded by people in the community now and you're, and you, it's a process of um, unconscious selections or subconscious selection. Yeah, um, you're probably right. It's like buying a new car. No one had it. And then everybody has the same car, the same color. It's like the awareness factor. Could be. I, because for me, it's been a slow, it's been slow growth. And then all of a sudden I found the community and then, in the community, I would always go back to Michael and I would be like, no, but it is, it's all the conversation now. And he would say, no, it isn't because from where he was looking, no, I'm the only crazy one that's talking about it. Right. And then I'd be like, no, everybody's talking about it. And he's like, I don't know. Who. And so it was just last month that he came to me. He's like, look, I saw this article in the New York times. And I was like, I told you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it I- took the times to get to me. <laughs> but um, well, it's not in my social feed quite exactly. I mean, I have you know, I follow more like Nat Geo photographers and astrophotographers, <laughs> things like that. But you know, I think obviously the times um, we, you know, Fauna and I do chat about this often. Uh, if anything, we really understand that this year uh, we have to expect the unexpected. I think those of us that are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who have uh, older parents. I think, um, you know, as, as my parents live here and the protocols that, you know, I have employed to make sure that I am safe around them, given the current state of, of the environment, are dramatically different than ever before. And just being conscious and aware of that 
has made me and many other people, I would assume logically, you know, kind of fall into that same category. Like what if mom and dad or, you know, vice versa were, you know, compromised in some way. Um, you know, when I found out that my grandfather, who was a World War II pilot, made eight trips over the English Channel and somehow survived, crash landed several times during the Second World War and had many wonderful tales. When I realized that his time was was coming to an end and he was sick and, and that, that that would have a finality to it, we started spending a lot of time just trying to capture his stories. And so I have to imagine that there are other people who feel that dramatic pull to just be like, I know uncle, dad, mom, you know, aunt Susie, I know they have an amazing life. I want to know about it. And, um, and from those, for those people too. Mm. And I think that that's just, yeah, become a reality. I absolutely do. And especially in this, this time, you know, I, I think after viewing your website, Fawn and, that I do believe that death is the new continuum of well-being. I, I really do. What's your thoughts about that? I agree. I, I think that um, death gives us an opportunity to ask ourselves the important questions. It enables us, if we use it, you know, if we, if everybody can get in on this dirty little secret, we can use death to ask ourselves the important question of what matters. What do we want to do with the time that we're here? And how do I want to leave a story and information so that my loved ones don't have a bunch of chaos if I do pass unexpectedly? And how can I help them grieve afterwards? Because there are things that we can do that can enable and facilitate a healthier grieving process. And that's why I feel like death is wellness because it can allow us to make smarter decisions for ourselves, for our health, for our bodies, for our careers, because you just get in alignment a lot quicker. And that allows us to live a more enriched life and have more meaningful connections and conversations with people about the things that matter. I totally agree. Now, what if, what if the listeners of this crazy podcast of mine, what if they want to like work with you? I mean, how did they get in touch with you and Michael or what, what, what kind of, what kind of, uh, you know, how does that happen and how do you work with people under under such uh, a, a broad death educator perspective? Sure. That's a great question. So I created an e-course with a planner and the planner addresses life story as well as end of life planning. And so I've put everything into chapters that address not only the standards like medical directives, um, a will, estate, those things, yes, but the emotional and the spiritual components as well. Because face it, our lives are more than money and health. Our lives are our experiences. They're the way, they're the decisions that we make and the ramifications of those decisions. They're the thing, they're our secrets. There are truths that we want to pass down and impart. They're the footprint that we leave behind. And so those things are 
just so juicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, it's the book of you. And mm-hmm. I want to help people write this book of you, not only for them so that they realize that their story matters, but also so their, their loved ones can grieve better. And so I created the e-course that helps them do this creatively, very tactically. Um, it's a lot, but it, it's not overwhelming. It doesn't have to be if you chunk it out. Sure. Like, well, how, what, how long is this e-course? Is it over several weeks or days or? Yeah, so we didn't drip the content out. Um, what we did is, um, we're actually going to be launching, um, a Kickstarter campaign to offer the course, um, discounted to our early backers on September 1st. Wow. Uh, Super excited about that. And people can visit us at one last thing dot life, uh, to sign up, to get the early access to, um, to the Kickstarter campaign. But, um, you know, the idea is really, as Fawn said, it's, it's to have a guide. It's so that you're not doing it alone. Um, I would call it a masterclass. Uh, for dad. I love it. It's, I love it. It's really just, um, you don't just have to be given a form or fill out a website in a vacuum by yourself because you'll never do it. And that's where you take Fawn's superpower and you match it with, people's desire to share their story and their wishes for how their life and end of life should go. And you kind of put that all together in one package. And um, so, yeah, we invite people to reach out, to sign up, to, um, to do that. And then Fawn will be, and I will be kind of releasing all sorts of content to um, help people, you know, free content that will help people just kind of navigate different questions, different ideas, uh, different thought starters, activities they can do, whether it's, like you said, grabbing the deck of cards and doing other things, but um, just kind of creating this uh, community. And then when people sign up, they'll be able to be part of our exclusive Facebook group. So they can specifically ask Fawn questions, interact with her, and get feedback on what their plan is. So you all, you did this through Kickstarter to help support this whole momentum of your vision to come true. So it's, the product is 99.9%. In other words, the, the, the book planner is complete. The video courses have been filmed and they're ready to go. They're on demand, by the way. So once someone is opts in, you use it and work at your own pace. Oh, wow. Okay. I recommend looking at it more like a marathon because, but in a marathon that feels good, not an arduous marathon, but because you, you know, full well that how many documents are needed when someone dies, lots of documents, lots of copies of documents. And sometimes it takes us a few days to go get those documents from the, like, I, it took me forever to find my birth certificate. I didn't even know where to start. Right. Find it, right. Or your divorce <laughs> certificate or your military certificates. But in addition to right. that, and this is the part where I love having Michael's expertise is I help people write their stories and I help people mm. tell their stories. Like, so again, it's not only the tactical standards, like will estate finances, listing your bank accounts and um, what kind of memorial do you want? How do you want disposition of remains handled? But it's also about what are your secrets? Well, yeah, it's like you're putting color into bla- a black and white subject. You know, you're making death more colorful. Like, for instance, what music I have been in to all my life. And maybe I would want that playing if I if if people knew that I love that music, maybe they would choose to play it um, when I was on my when I was, you know, parting this world. That's interesting. Now, is there a fee? 
to come on board? There is, there is, it's, so the, okay, so there's different options. Um, we have ancillary classes, like for example, I'll help people write their obituaries. I'll also help people write letters that um, go to their loved ones as well. So letter writing classes. So I have, I have ancillary classes that go in addition, like if someone in one chapter where it is write down the, you know, the details of your obituary, there's an ancillary class for how to write your obituary if you want to take that leap. So depending on the levels that people buy, the course and the planner, the book is $99. That's all? Yeah. Are you serious? It is. That's so cheap. It, it, wow. And it, it, it comes with at least 11 classes. Well, thank you for saying that because that took us, that was some conversation that Michael and I had to go back to. Um, and But we want to make it affordable for everyone. Yeah. You know what? I'm signing up. I want to sign up. Yeah, I definitely want to go through this. I really do. And um, I, I want to join your, your private Facebook page. And I, I think this is a fabulous, fabulous idea. And so uh, when please shoot me an email when you have it all up and running, because I want to be like the you know first 100 people to get on board. And, and I, I can't wait to have some of the conversations and these open forums that you're going to create. It's really exciting. And you know what? What's exciting is I'm going to be talking and telling my story about my life, but it really is preparing for my end as well. It's awesome. And not, you're right. $99 is not a lot of money. Um, I, would, I would pay four times that amount if my grandmother would have filled this out and I could know the music she was raised with just so when I'm missing her, I could just listen to what she listened to as in her childhood. Um, just little things like that that I could feel more connected with her. And I, I think you've got something very, very special, very reasonable, um, especially in a time that, you know, people are, are losing their jobs. This is, this is a, a dinner out um, and, or, you know, a, a, a one month gym membership. So this is really reasonable to create something for everlasting for your family, as well as really pre prepare your own mind to, uh, where are you going? Um, wow. So when is the actual start date for non kickstart supporters? So the Kickstarter runs for 30 days and, um, I'm happy you think that $99 is reasonable, but, um, because we are just, we want every single person to be able to have access to the importance of this content. We're going to offer it for half off. Uh, throughout our Kickstarter campaign. So people will actually be able to get the planner and the courses for $49.99. Um, and they'll be able to have the whole thing and access and exclusive. We do have other packages. Uh, we have corporate packages for people who have small businesses that want their employees to have access to this, for larger corporations that want to build a larger program for that, uh, other institutions and things like that. Um, and then we also have the ability for people to you know, work one-on-one -on -one with Fawn to have a Zoom conversation to walk through intimately through those chapters. So, um, yeah. Well, let me, I would love to be a part of promoting this during September, uh, during your Kickstarter to all of my followers on all of my social media, um, maybe even working with you guys. I have, uh, since I've been all over the United States, has a, I have a huge uh, constant contact emailing list. I thought that, you know, it would be great to push that out to my uh, audience and, and have them clip through and, and participate with your Kickstarter. I just think it's, uh, if I, if I can 
do anything for you guys. Let's let's just make a list and offline just uh, just tell me what you need and I will be happy uh, to inform the people because what this is really what I'm who I'm thinking about really is those who work in hospice. There's volunteer coordinators who are always looking for something to assist the families with of telling their stories. This would be a great way to create a legacy story. Um, and it's it's inexpensive. Um, but it also, once it's completed, it's uh, it, you can't put a price on it. It's priceless. Yeah, just know I'm part of your marketing team. So, you know, shoot me via email some of your stuff and, and um, we'll make it happen on this end because I really want you guys to be successful. And I think what you're doing is pretty uh, special. And, you know, in, in it, the timing is just so perfect um, because we, you know, before this whole COVID pandemic, you know, we, we were sad if we weren't with loved ones when they died. And then when we weren't giving the option to be with them, we can't go in the hospital with them. Suddenly that became so very important. And so I think this is an element that could help some families that possibly can't be with their loved ones as they depart. Um, so I, I just think it's really perfect timing and just know that I'm, I would love to be part of, uh, your uh your spider web campaign as as it gets launched for sure we appreciate Thank it you so much yes yeah, oh absolutely so absolutely and and just when you hear this podcast there's going to be somewhere on this uh the written aspect in fawn's bio a link to go and be part of this kickstarter where you get this amazing information for half off which is unbelievable so let's really uh i, I would love to see two or three thousand people come on board in that Kickstarter month. Um, I mean, it is, especially for 49, $49.99, man, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. But um, but yeah, there's going to be a link there to um, in, in Fawn's bio. So link that up and, and just tell her you heard her and Michael on Death by Design podcast. And um, let's create our community and uh, keep this conversation um, as well as, you know, this really great e-course and this book. Um, let's talk about it. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. What amazes me in this field is when I run into people like the two of you who sometimes are like Michael, not interested in death. What are you talking about? But yet you have this passionate friend that comes in and changes your perspective and suddenly you are in this field too, um, doing your superpower. Uh, and so I love that you guys are a team moving forward with this. So before we leave, um, tell me the website once more so the listeners can kind of be reminded of that. And if they're listening um, in their car, don't write it down while you're driving. Just remember it or stop the podcast right now so you can keep it earmarked and then play it again when you get to somewhere <laughs> safe. Um, you know, but so tell us the website. It's www.onelastthing.life onelastthing.life. So it's dot life. Just remember that um, because that's important because a lot of people are going to be dot com. So just remember dot life. Well, Michael, Fawn, uh, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship because I'm going to be all over you guys in September because I want to see these numbers really explode. And uh, I love numbers. So I love to see a campaign be very successful. So I can't 
uh, way to be part of growing uh, your audience with this new product. But I really do appreciate your time, not only for the day being a guest on my podcast, but just for what you're doing um, to really radically change how we normalize, how we live, as well as how we will one day face end of life. So you guys are pretty special people for sure. Thank you. Thank you Thanks so, much. so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. So again, if you're interested in becoming a part of this Kickstarter, check out the link within Fawn's bio and be part of this really great Kickstarter in September where you get this really e-course and this amazing book that uh, is half off. So uh, click it on and, and tell them I sent you their way. Guys, again, thank you for joining me. And until the next time, this is Kimberly Paul with Death by Design Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.